Blog Talk Radio. My name is Tom Marquis, Presidente. I am your host. I will guide you through this crazy world of sports that we have had going on this week. NBA free agency starts this weekend, baby. We'll see what happens. We're going to break all of that down uh, for you. And we'll see. 917-895-16 is our digits. I'll tell you what. The, the U.S. women's soccer went and moving on against they beat France moving on we got we have some IndyCar action to talk about with Matthew Embry uh WSVT up in South Bend our official IndyCar contributor standing by in the balance green room and uh we're, we're going to talk about road America we're going to talk about what's coming up in Toronto we're going to get you up to speed Steve Wilson for Speedway Digest uh editor-in-chief of Speedway Digest is scheduled to join us to talk some NASCAR up in Chicago land, up in the Windy City. Matt Hicks joining us in the second hour to, to break down some NBA free agency. Talk uh, a little homer card about the Pacers, what's going on with the Pacers. At the bottom uh, of the, la- the last segment, uh, Mo can't join us today. He's actually on a plane to Denver. So Tony D from the Tony D podcast. Go to Tony Donahue from the Tony D <laughs> podcast is going to join us and we're going to break down all of this nba free agency so i'm going to tell you what grab yourself some coffee grab yourself some donuts or whatever it is you got to do we'll be right back right here on the balance radio network Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family. So the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. 
the Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. It's double trouble, double the fun at African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio. See the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Simba Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. Let's get things kicked off. My name is Saul Marcus El Presidente. Joining us now is Matthew Embry, WSBT in South Bend, our official IndyCar contributor. Matthew, a hot Saturday morning. Gee, is so glad that summer has finally arrived. How are you, sir? Uh, don't worry. I haven't been burned just yet, but uh, got to say, it should be a very interesting U.S. Senior Open. Uh, Steve Stricker setting a 36-hole U.S. Senior Open record with uh, opening with a 62-64, 14 under par, which is an unheard-of score for USG event. He's got a two-shot lead on Jerry Kelly, and there's several heavy hitters here. So if you're not down here at the Warren, you need to get down here because uh, the action's going to get very interesting here in the next few hours. Well, absolutely, and you're right. You're up there in South Bend where the uh, U.S. Senior Open is going on as well. And uh, let's talk a little bit about that, what's going on with the action there. Uh, have, have you found your way? Uh, I, I know last time we talked, you said you had to, you couldn't go your normal routes. And But uh, talk with us a little bit about what's going on with the U.S. Senior Open. Well, the fun gets underway at 10 a.m. Uh, with the first groups of the third round, so not much beyond that right now. Uh, but like I said, traffic's going to be backed up because there is some construction on some of the thorough throughways 
uh, just before you get into the parking lot entrance. And uh, again, uh, for those who are coming down, uh, the parking lot entrance is the entrance to Douglas Road. It's just off the exit of the Indiana Toll Road. And if you take that, uh, that will just follow in. There's no charge for parking. If you have tickets or if you need tickets, there's a will call or a ticket area booth that's just outside the main entrance. And uh, just head on in and have fun. It's going to be a very interesting day of golf. And uh, thankfully, it looks like Mother Nature is going to hold off. We're going to have no rain concerns today or tomorrow. And uh could be very interesting to see how things play out, especially uh, with the rain that happened on Wednesday, softening up the course and the lowest numbers. I don't think you're going to see 62 to 64 today. I think you're going to see some challenges. And uh, we'll see uh, if Mr. Stricker can keep the lead or if uh, he may come back to the rest of the field. Well, absolutely. Uh, we're talking about the USCA Senior Open, and we're going to get into some IndyCar talk to Matthew Embry. But, of course, uh, it's uh, it's happening uh, this weekend up there in South Bend, Indiana. Uh, if if uh, people go decide to go check that out this weekend, uh, what are some of the big names that they can uh, plan to see? Well, Steve Stricker is going to be out today. Obviously, he and Jerry Kelly, the former hockey star, both from Wisconsin, by the way, and they battled last week to a playoff that Jerry Kelly won, uh, actually at the event created by Steve Stricker himself. So I'm sure Stricker wants to flip the script on that. Then you have, of course, uh, the current king of the Champions Tour golf, uh, Bernhard Langer's close. Uh, Tom Watson's going to be in action today. Um, you're going to have several big names uh, near the leaderboard. Uh, Chris DeMarco, another guy that almost won the Masters on a couple of occasions. So several big names uh, that certainly are well within uh, striking distance uh, of the leaders. It's Again, the question, though, is uh, what's Stricker going to do? Is he going to shoot another low score? Or uh, is he going to come back to the field? And if he comes back to the field, uh, then you also got uh, defending champion uh, David Toms well within striking distance. So Several players, but uh, again, uh, right now the world revolves around Mr. Stricker and what he's going to do because he has been uh, lights out perfect. I mean, he has hit 86% of his greens in regulation and 80% of fairways off the tee so far this week. Those are unheard of numbers for a USGA event. Well, absolutely, and uh, you know we'll, we'll certainly be, be keeping our eyes on, on that for, for for sure. Let's move on over to IndyCar up in Wisconsin. Uh, it, at Road America, if you will, uh, Alexander Rossi wins. Colton Herta on the pole. Good weekend for both Honda and Andretti. What say you, sir? Another opportunity lost to Colton Herta. Uh, and I think right now, uh, just he keeps being his own worst enemy with the overaggression. And I think uh, he reminds me of a young Paul Tracy a little bit too much, where I think you need to tone him down just a little bit to make sure he gets to the finish because, obviously, if you can't finish, you can't win. And uh, I think that's the job now for Michael and Brian is to uh, and to slow him down. I don't know if Steinbrenner is going to be in a position to be able to get involved with that, but uh, maybe even Brian Barnhart saying, hey, kid, I mean, you're doing great, but you need to tone it down just a little bit and make sure you get to the finish of these races because, I mean, one-lap wonders aren't going to – get you championship points uh, and give you a chance to win a championship. So I think he'll learn that with time, but uh, got to say though, Rossi's looking good right now. If he keeps this up and backs it up uh, this upcoming week in Toronto, uh, you got to like his chances to win the championship regardless of what uh, maybe Joseph Newgarden does, even though Joseph Newgarden's still leading the points championship by just a little bit. 
Well, absolutely, and I tell you what, it's exciting to watch Joseph Newgarden, and I said earlier on in the season, Joseph Newgarden has the potential to be the 2019 IndyCar champion, and he's not proven me wrong yet. Talk with me a little bit about why Joseph Newgarden is going to be your next NTT IndyCar champion. Well, right now, he's got to stay ahead of Rossi as far as the – you know, road and street course events, because I think that's where he can gain ground on Rossi. I think the oval tracks, I think Rossi has the slight advantage, even though he does not have, you know, the Chevrolet engine. But I think uh, right now, if Newgarn's going to pull this off and win his second uh, NTT Data IndyCar title, he's going to need to start uh, getting some better results on road courses that consistently beat Rossi, because if Rossi gains ground on him, smart money said he's also going to gain ground when they get to those remaining oval events as well. So, the scenarios for Newgarden right now is he needs to have a good weekend in Toronto and then hold his ground uh, at these oval tracks as much as he can because uh, I'd say right now if he can't get it down the road street circuit, so he's going to have a hard time uh, taking the tie away from Alexander Rossi. Let's talk a little bit about Simon Padishon and the Indy 500 hangover. It wouldn't matter who was the winner of the Indy 500 at this time of year. We're still going to be talking about that. I, I think that, that, that finally that, that's starting to wear off a little bit, if you will. I mean, I can only imagine winning the Indianapolis 500 and then doing all your media obligations and then get in the car and running two races in Detroit and then back, back over to, to uh, Texas. But Simon Patajon uh, seemed to feel, look a little bit better at Road America. Do you think he's shaking that off? And it was really good to see uh, him with the initial um, sculpture, if you will, of the face of him going on the Bongwarder Trophy uh, this week. Simon Patajon, your Indianapolis 500 winner in 2019. Where are we at with him? Well, and it looks like in August uh, the trophy will be completely updated. Apparently they can't wait till December because Pagano's getting ready probably for the Rolex 24 and some of the other Enduros uh, with Penske. Uh, so obviously he won't be available then. And obviously, you know, the North American International Show and the baby boards and all that stuff. So they're hustling that ahead. It'd be good for a change to see actually, you know, the face on there. And, uh, again, uh tell you William Barron's one of the best sculptors this is the 30th face he has put on the trophy and uh, everyone it seems like keeps getting better and better and you thought uh, his first one with Ari Leondyke because initially I remember when they were initially doing this and they plan on having a different sculptor do it every single year but the way Barron's did the Leondyke uh, likeness in 1990 with the hair and all that I mean because said, okay well forget that and we'll just have him do it every year so uh, still going strong even 30 years into this and uh Got to say, uh, the Pagano one uh, was pretty impressive. But then again, again, all of these are almost lifelike. And just how precision he does uh, his job with these is amazing. Let's talk a little bit about Scott Dixon. Scott Dixon is the man this year. And he's the silent warrior, if you will. He's the ninja, if you will. Uh, Scott Dixon is the Iceman for a reason. And I tell you what, he breaks the matrix. He finished fifth. At Road America, I tell you what, Scott Dixon is always going to be behind. Anytime you look in your rearview mirror, you're going to see Scott Dixon there. He's coming for you. He's coming for the win. Scott Dixon's the real deal in 2019. 
Yeah, but I think he's got a lot to do if he's going to take the title away from Rossi and Dick and uh, Newgard. He's consistently been behind them in most of the events so far this season. Has lost points. Unless he turns it around and makes a big charge, which he's capable of doing, you're right. But uh, I just don't see the scenario where he wins uh, tile number six uh, in 2019. I think right now the better bets are for Rossi and Newgard unless something drastic happens to one of them. Chip Ganassi Racing seems to have has it figured out between their two drivers. Uh, what are your thoughts? Chip Ganassi, uh, I think, is 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 got a strategy going in 2019. Maybe it doesn't pay off the way they want it to in, in 2019, but, hey, they've been up in the top of, of every race. Uh, either one of their two of their drivers have been every race. Chip Canassi Racing 2019, I think the old chipper might be back. I wouldn't necessarily say that yet because I think right now uh, Rosenquist is still – has some refining to do, and the consistency isn't quite there for him to, you know, be a title threat. I mean, he has he still hasn't won his first race yet. So, I mean, he got to such a great start at St. Pete, but he's kind of, you know, flatlined uh, since that result. So, he needs to get back in the groove. And like I said, uh, it's going to take uh, a big run from Dixon to get there. And, again, let's face it, uh, we looked at the last couple of years of the Indianapolis 500, and they have not been a factor uh, since Scott Dixon won the poll in 2017. They were disappointing in 2018, and they were disappointing in this year. So uh, there's still, I think, a lot of loose ends on the in the Ganassi camp that need to be refined. But, again, uh, having some consistency among teammates, I think, would help them. I mean, Dixon's had a new teammate each of the last three years, and uh, – I don't think that helps with continuity and the transfer information. And when you got to do it on your own, uh, that doesn't necessarily uh, help things. That's why the multi-car team aspect is so popular because you can transfer information and then regain from that. And uh, when it's tough to, you know, transfer information when you have a different driver with a different driving style every year as your teammate, I don't think that really uh, helps. I mean, it's not necessarily a detriment, but, it certainly is not a positive uh, as far as uh, challenging for a championship in the case of Scott Dixon. Roger Pinsky, uh, one of the most dominant racing organizations in the world. Obviously, congratulations to Roger Pinsky for winning the uh, uh, Medal of Freedom uh, given to him uh, by Donald Trump. Uh, but for all of his uh, acclimates and achievements that he's done. Simon Pajon made a trip to the to the White House. It was really cool to see that happen. Uh, but uh, Pinsky, let's talk about them as a whole, as a team. They obviously have some of the biggest names in racing: Will Power, Joseph uh, uh, Joseph Newgarden, Simon Pajon, uh, Roger Pinsky, One of the most dominant racing forces in the world across the board. Roger Pinsky, 2019, what are we looking at right now where he's at uh, as far as a team-wise goes? Well, you've got two strong cogs, and I'd still say a iffy cog because Pagano struggled again at Road America this past weekend. Yes, he made a decent comeback in the race, but you can't expect to gain decent points when you're starting at the mid or back of the pack every race, and that seems like where Pagano's been with the exception of the Indy 500. Now, that was that his focus, that Pagano was more focused on Indy because that was one of his main targets to hit. Who knows? But in the end, uh, Pagano's been, been the weak cog of the group. 
Power, amazingly, still has not won a race in 2019. That's hard to believe. And uh, Joseph, Joseph Dugard, I think, is their title threat. Not to say Power could join the party late, but uh, hard to believe that uh, we are now 10 races into 2019. And Will Power, a driver of his ability and Team Penske's ability, that he is winless at this point in the season. Talking with Matthew Embry, WSBT up at South Bend. I appreciate you taking some time from your uh, duties there at the U.S. Senior Open uh, and walking around the golf course. What a great day to be on the golf course. I wish I was on the golf course uh, today. But, you know, one of the things that we look at at the road courses, especially, well, well, that's when it is, is really used, but is the push to pass. How can IndyCar improve this push to pass? Because – there's a lot of strategy behind using those, and there's only so many that you can use. Uh, but IndyCar needs to improve the ruling of that, of the push to pass. First of all, a lot of people don't know what that is. Maybe explain what that is to our novice listeners. Okay. Uh, but also, it makes it easier to overtake. Uh, as far as fixing it, about the only way to do it would probably be to employ the FIA DRS, but obviously that would be way too much extra money. Uh, the teams have to spend, and I don't think you necessarily want to do that. I think you've got a decent system in there. It's just the problem is when you have cars that are this equal to this close in time, that makes them at the same speed, so it makes it tougher to overtake. So I think it's more on the fact that the field is so close that it makes it tough to overtake as opposed to there being an issue with the tracks of the car itself. Well, absolutely. So uh... – Let's talk a little bit. Let's move on into Toronto. Obviously, the streets of Toronto, hopefully they've calmed down enough now after winning the NBA uh, championship. Uh, but next week, uh, next weekend, yeah, uh, yeah, next weekend, or is it the weekend after? They, uh, I don't have my dates up here, but uh, they'll be rolling into the streets of Toronto. Obviously, that's the, the uh, home uh, track, home area, if you will, of James Hinchcliffe. Uh, I always like watching these street courses, and and I know I'm an Oval fan because based here in Indianapolis, but I really do like watching these street courses. You, you, you talk about Long Beach, and, and you talk about St. Pete and Toronto. These street courses are pretty awesome. Let's talk about Toronto. That's what's up next. Well, maybe not so much St. Pete, but certainly Long Beach and Toronto, which have been mainstays in open-wheel racing for many, many years. I think those uh, there's a tradition factor with those. Unfortunately, uh, when you think Toronto, though, you also think of the uh, tragic accident of Jeff Frost off in 1996 uh, that also claimed uh, the corner worker, Gary Irvin. Uh, so it's not been, you know, peaches and cream completely at Toronto, but uh, certainly as a competitive circuit, I think normally the driver with the most skill uh, is the one that is successful at that event uh, more often than not. Let's talk about Canada, IndyCar, the broadcast. Uh, and we've talked about this with Tyson. I think Tyson's going to join us next week uh, to talk about Toronto. But the Canadians don't have the flexibility and the ability to watch IndyCar like we do. It seems like th- this could be a very simple fix, but it's not. Well, I think they should be complaining more at CBC, TSN, Sportnet for not uh, picking up IndyCar. Uh, It's not IndyCar's fault that those three Canadian channels, which are the big three channels as far as sports coverage, are not interested in covering IndyCar right now. That's 
right now the concern. I think uh, it's uh, far-fetched to, for Canadian fans to take the blame solely at NBC because NBC is not doing any exclusivity things. Uh, it's just the fact that CBC, Sportnet, Canada, and TSN just don't want to cover any car race for some reason. Well, let's just point out that, that if you have the ability to have a streaming device, that's an international thing as long as you're able to, to, to get the streaming. So I, I would think that if you need to, to download the NBC Sports apps, well, there you go. You've, you, you've got it there. Let's, let's go back to Road America a little bit. You know, uh, Matthew, with all the emphasis on driver safety over the last few years, why was a yellow flag not thrown at Road America at the, with the large pieces of asphalt? Remember, remember that? And even the broadcasters were talking about this needs this is something's going on here if one of those had been hit by a car or thrown uh, into the to the helmet i mean that could have been disastrous if not fatal why was there not a yellow flag thrown because it wasn't a little chunk of asphalt it was almost like a pothole the problem is when they noticed it was right in the middle of pit stops had they thrown the yellow flag a few drivers who pitted early would have been absolutely had their races ruined so I think IndyCar realized that, and they would have gotten the complaints afterwards. But my biggest concern with that is, you know, the track coming apart. I mean, Road America, unfortunately, has a history of being one of the roughest circuits there. And the last thing you need at one of these high-speed corners like the Kink, et cetera, is for there to be something that breaks an axle on one of these cars and sends a car into the wall and possibly into a tumble. So my concern was on that right now with the cars losing control hitting that at a high speed and possibly suffering a horrendous crash, like, for instance, the crash we saw the Captain Leg a few years ago where the car literally came apart, and thankfully she walked away from it. But uh, that's uh, the kind of accidents that you don't want to see, especially with the cars going as fast as they are at some of these parts of the course. Let's talk a little bit about where we are with the standings as we watch the points uh, keep racking up, if you will, as we as we move through the 2019 season. Let's uh, kind of look underneath the microscope of the top 10 drivers in the standings. What are your thoughts? Well, I think the thing right now is, is there going to be a third wheel in the mix right now. But I think it's clear that Rossi and Newgarden have separated themselves from the rest of the contenders for the championship at this point. The question is, can someone like, say, a Scott Dixon and Will Power get on a roll and get themselves back into contention? Because I think that's what it's going to take for, you know, a third party to get involved in this. Because right now, Newgarden and Rossi have been the two biggest cogs so far and the most consistent ones. And I think if that continues, uh, one of those two will be lifting the Astro Cup after Laguna Seca. I just don't see a scenario unless someone gets on a big run where a third party uh, gets involved. So we got Joseph Newgarden, Alexander Rossi, Simon Pattijon, Scott Dixon, and Will Power. Any surprises within that group? Uh, obviously, uh, Pagano, I think, is a surprise. Of course, he won the Indy 500 worth double points, but I expect him, unless he can regain that form through the rest of the season, not just Indy, I think you'll see him drop out of the mix. And then the question is, well, can Dixon or Power get on a run? Uh, I think that's what it's going to take for one of them to take the title away from Rossi or Newgarden. Uh, because right now, I think those two are just head and shoulders above the rest of the pack right now. And uh, until that changes, uh, the best bets for the title, like I've said, uh, are between uh, Alexander Rossi and Joseph Newgarden. Uh, 
with as many races that are left on the schedule at this point. No, you're absolutely you're absolutely right. I know you got a lot going on there at the the uh, U.S. Senior Open here. Um, so I was just kind of zipping through this here real quickly here. We look at Ryan Hunter, Ray, Graham Ray Hall, and James Hinchcliffe. Well, where 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 are we at with that? Ray Hall's just been, you know, in the wall. And I think you can say the same thing about Hunter Ray and about Hinchcliffe. I think Hunter Ray's best chance for glory was an Indy when he didn't qualify. Well, got the back qualifying draw that ended his chances and. The same goes for Hinchcliffe. I don't know if he's more conservative now after the bad accidents he's suffered or what the case is, or, you know, he's kind of shell-shocked from the kind of rude uh, awakening he's had the last two years at Indy. I don't know what the case is, but uh, he seems to be rattled, and uh, you just can't predict uh, Graham Rahal. He is the most unpredictable driver on the IndyCar circuit. At times, he looks like a world beater. At times, he looks like, you know, a field filler, and I until he gains that consistency, which I don't know in this part of his career he's going to be able to do, but until he does that, I just don't see a scenario where Graham Rahal is going to be a championship contender uh, on the IndyCar circuit uh, in the foreseeable future. James Hinscliffe, obviously going home to Toronto next week. Uh, what are your thoughts about him? He's actually been snake bit, I think, at Toronto based on, if my memory serves me, I don't have the records in front of me. But uh, actually, it seems like there's added pressure at some of these home events, and it just depends on how you handle it. I mean, yes, Ed Carpenter qualifies well at Indy, but he doesn't finish well. And Hinchcliffe has not been on either side of the coin positively at Toronto, as far as I can tell, uh, in his first few appearances. So uh, it's been more of a kryptonite track for him as opposed to a health track uh, in terms of Toronto and the relationship between it and uh, James Hinchcliffe. We've been talking with Matthew Embry, WSBT in South Bend, joining us uh, for our official IndyCar contributor, joining us for some IndyCar talk. I know you're also splitting duty uh, up there at the U.S. Senior Open in uh, South Bend, but where can people find you? Work in your masterpieces, sir. M-A-T-T-E-M-B-U-Y-R-Y on Twitter, and I should also mention big event on IMSA's schedule tomorrow with the sale in six hours. The Glen could be a mixed field because rain is expected today during the qualifying session, so... Uh, we could have a weird grid, and that could cause a lot of drama in the opening hour of the six uh, to deal with uh, when we get to Sunday. All right, Matthew, we appreciate you. Yeah, enjoy your day there at the golf course. Get some sun, and, and hopefully we'll see some max in there, sir. Not a problem. All right, thank you. Matthew Embry, always uh, a pleasure to have him on. <laughs> Oh, like Matt, we big we go back a long ways, man. But uh, anyway, he's out at the golf course. I'm jealous. My name is Tom Michael President. We'll be right back. I'm, I think Steve Wilson's going to join us. I know that truck race ran late. It might. Oh, there he is. He, he is standing by in the balance green room. Steve Wilson, editor in chief of Speedway Digest, will join us when we get right back right here on the Balance Radio Network. Air National- 
National Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family, so the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Symbol Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor, splitting duties between the U.S. Senior Open uh, and uh, doing some IndyCar talk with us up there in South Bend, Indiana. It is a hot and balmy day here at the home of the Balance Studios in the in the west suburbs of Indianapolis, high atop the Balance Studios. Welcome aboard, Mr. Steve Wilson of Speedway Digest. 
Steve, are you guys experiencing a typical Virginia hot summer day today? <laughs> not not yet this morning, but later this afternoon we'll we'll be in that muggy ninety five eight plus degree weather with uh you know feeling like it's about a hundred and twenty seven and just on the <laughs> edge of well you know i uh, I understand I tell you what I've been to Virginia so many times I really love it. I love the city of Richmond, and I'm a big civil war buff, so I spend a lot of time down there and then I go to d c but it, sometimes it seems like really the, the remarkable as close as Virginia is to d c the remar- it's like you're crossing the equator. I, I love Virginia, but it does have some of the – and I've lived in Florida, but I think Virginia's got to be the hottest place on earth in the summertime. I don't know if I'm right about that or not, but I, I do know that, that uh, Virginia is pretty hot. But late night for the trucks. Uh, Moffat obviously comes off with the win. Uh, so we'll talk some NASCAR here with uh, – Steve Wilson. Uh, Steve, did you get to bed at, at a halfway decent hour? Uh, a little uh, a, a little after midnight, closer to 1 a.m. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you know what? Back in the days when I was a lot younger, a lot younger, uh, 1 o'clock, I was just getting started. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Those days are are long over. Just out of curiosity, we talked about this offline, but this is a couple of weeks in a row where they've rolled off the trucks kind of late. I, I don't know. Is there is there a method behind that? Is it a TV schedule? What is what is the uh, what is the uh, uh, method to the madness, if you will, for the trucks rolling off so late? Well, TV typically will take and uh, set their schedules months in advance and you know we're we're right in the midst of all of this world cup action out in france so that kind of plays into some of the decisions on um you know some of these events that we're we're seeing run late and uh back in michigan just a couple of weeks ago it played into the decision on you know why we had a five o'clock monday races you know fox has commitments to to cover uh, uh the world cup uh, so you know you, you know a lot of these things play into tv schedules uh, uh mostly the tv partners uh, have a lot of input on who what time uh these races do run uh nascar has a great degree of love to to set the times of, of these events but they you know they they work with many different partners. Um, you know, I, years ago we we always used to say that well, you know, everybody came home from church and you knew that uh, it, it, the race started at the same time every single week except for right. a handful of races a year, like you know the Bristol Night Race and Richmond and a couple odds and in others. But you know, but now uh, you know there's so much more content on TV these days than we ever had before. So you know we. We have to work with the partners, and NASCAR has to work with everybody to make sure that it works for everyone. Because uh, you know, without the TV partners, unfortunately, uh, we don't get to watch NASCAR. So you know, we we sometimes have to play the TV partner game and uh, their other commitments at the same time. So what you're saying, it's all about the money. It's all about the pesos. It's all about the green. Oh, I get it. I totally get it. I, I understand. Yeah. It, it, exactly. 
Well, let's uh, let's talk about last night's truck race. So obviously, uh, Toyota had a great night last night, but Brett Moffat, obviously a Chevy, uh, but Toyota, for the most part, in the top ten, outside of uh, Matt Crafton and Ross Chastain and, and Stuart uh, Frazier, the rest of those are all Toyota in the top ten. Steve, so, you sorry, on? you dropped out there for a second. We, oh, I, I was just saying, great night for Toyota last night. Uh, all, all but a couple drivers uh, in a Toyota. I know that, that the winner uh, was a Chevy, went to uh, uh, victory, victory Lane, uh, Brett Moffat. But uh, overall, a good night for Toyota. Um, yeah, I, it, well, you know, unfortunately, uh, you know, Somebody, somebody else's bad, bad days, or somebody else's good days, and uh, you know we saw a lot of that outdoor sport last night with the Fords. Uh, every one of them had engine problems at some point, either prior to or during the race. Some of them were put out. Yeah, but uh, you know, as far as Toyota is concerned, um, you know they've been long dominant in this series. Um, they they fund. Uh, a lot of these teams, and especially Cobblish Motorsports out there, uh, has the resources TRD behind them to, you know, be competitive week in and week out. And, you know, I know we've we've talked a lot in the last couple of weeks about Cobblish Motorsports and some of their young drivers just haven't been performing as well. But, um, you know, I, I think they've heard the call on that, and we're starting to see them come to the top. Um, so, you know, from I, I, honestly, I think that we're we're going to start seeing, um, you know, some of these drivers, um, Harrison Burton and Todd Gilliland come back up there and uh, um, probably be competing uh, at a higher level because, you know, they, you know, when Kyle Busch speaks, sometimes Kyle Busch needs it. Um, but, you know, it, it was kind of interesting to the fact of, uh, you know, Brett Moffat came in under uh, with no funding this weekend, um, blank hood on that truck. Uh, this is race last year that we um, we heard that you know Brent Moffat was not going to be able to come and race at um, and, and it would stop his championship run um, that we saw in 2018 and uh, you know GMS committed to bring him there this week um, you know no sponsor at all and uh, he went to victory lane so um, you know for for Brett Moffat he said some of the you know the Iowa uh Chicago land kind of kicked off his championship run in 2018 um you know he he's this is his uh second win uh the first one was handed to him after disqualification by uh, Ross Chastain a couple of weeks ago but this is his first official win where he actually took the check flag got to celebrate it and all um but you know we're we're seeing the dominance of uh some of these teams right now as we get into the summer stretch and uh it looks like brett moffin uh you know off the hill for uh hattori uh racing and uh ross chastain who hasn't been full-time and well is now running full-time for the championship is is running up there top top five top seven trying to get back into the top 20 in points but uh you know i think right now it's uh you know the manufacturers are you know, Chevrolet puts a lot of money into this. Toyota puts a lot of money into this. But, you know, we're again, we only see a handful of, uh, you know, teams out there, super teams uh, that seem to come to the top. And, uh, you know, I think we're seeing that right now with, uh, you know, GMS Racing, Hattori Racing, Cobblish Motorsports. This weekend, they roll into Chicagoland. Chicagoland's been around for a long time. A lot of people like, don't we don't really talk a lot about Chicagoland, but I tell you what, I remember back – 
back when Tony Stewart was the rebel, uh, if you will. I think it was 2004. He won, got in a big fight out there. Uh, he came in contact with Casey Kane, and there's a big fight between the pit crews. Remember that? That was in Chicago, wasn't it? That was like when back when uh, Tony Stewart was like uh, the rebel, if you will. <laughs> he was he was a Kurt Busch. I don't think, of the I don't day. think much of that. I don't think much. Of, you know, I don't think much of that has changed with Tony Stewart. Even after all these years, he he still uh, he still can be rather feisty. Uh, you know, even even in his uh, older <laughs> age, he's not really that old. But you know, in his older age, uh, I think he can uh, probably carry a candle to to some of these uh, drivers out there today. Well, he's married now, so we'll we'll see if married life can calm him down. Let's talk a little bit about you know before we get into the Xfinity race, I do want to just spend some time with you today to talk about uh, Daryl Waltrip. What an awesome tribute that they did to Daryl. I don't know if you've had a chance to go back and look at that or if you had a chance to watch that. I thought one of the most awesome things that that Fox did. Obviously, NBC picks it up this weekend, but one of the most really cool things that Fox did for Daryl Waltrip was uh, the the letter from his wife. And, you know, we, we take for granted what what drivers go through on a day-by-day basis. And for her to just kind of walk through the life with Daryl Waltrip, I thought, I mean, it gave me goosebumps. It was, it was like I tweeted out, true love story here. And you got to go look at it. Just Google uh, uh, Daryl Waltrip's wife pins a letter on Fox. It is a fantastic uh, piece uh, and they just really did him up well as far as saying goodbye we look at one of the the legends of the sport probably one of the most impactful persons in NASCAR as we know it today in so many levels in so many ways is the Waltrip family but Daryl Waltrip especially has really carried that torch. We think about Dale, Dale Earnhardt, yes, and 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 you saw that piece during that where obviously Dale uh, Earnhardt uh, Sr. and Daryl Waltrip were really good friends, and uh, the, the unfortunate thing was Daryl Waltrip was calling that race at Daytona on the air when that accident happened. Talk with us about Daryl Waltrip and who he was as a driver. Help us, you know, just wrap our arms around this is a guy who's not going to be around anymore. And you think about how much we took for granted, boogity, 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 boogity. I mean, the the one last, the last boogity, boogity, boogity. I tell you what, if if if, if that did not move you, you're you're dead. You're dead, and and you're a ghost or something. What are your thoughts, Steve? Uh, you know. Darrell Walter's career has has definitely had a lot of high points, a lot of low points to it, and I think he kind of highlighted some of the low points with being on the air with Dale Earnhardt Sr. when uh, he wrecked 2001 at Daytona on the final lap, the final turn uh, of that race. Um, you know, Darrell come from the backwoods of Kentucky. Uh, this is this is back during a time when um, you, you, this was a very southern sport. <clears throat> it was very much. Uh, you know, you you did not have brand names, uh, you did not have brand sponsors most of the time, um, and, and he, you know, he, he along with many others in that generation, legitimized the sport, um, you know, and opened the sport to to new people. You know, you 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 look back at his eighty what, about eighty three wins or something like that in the sport. Um, he won. 
you know, dozens for driving for Junior Johnson uh, uh, and, and other teams. I mean, he, he made the Gatorade and the Tide colors famous in this sport um, long before other drivers uh, put that on their cars. And, uh, you know, he won the Daytona 500, and, you know, we saw him dancing, or we've seen pictures and videos of him dancing in victory lane after winning the Daytona 500 and uh, breaking down. And, uh, you know, just, just his career has had uh, just an impactful statement on on the sport. And, you know, when he steps in, when he stepped out of the booth for the final time at Sonoma last week, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, there's there's obviously something that's going to be missing there. Sometimes we, we complain or we, we go after him for not necessarily being as close to the sport as he was when he started at Fox 20, 21 years ago. Um and, uh, you know, he was close to the sport, but, you know, the, the cars and the technology and the sport has changed so much that, you know, the, that's why sometimes it's more relatable to talk about uh, Dale Jr. or Jeff Gordon because they haven't been out of the car that long. And they can relate to what's going on currently in the sport today. And uh, Daryl Waltrip had a lot of old stories and a lot of stories from you know, once stock car racing really was actually stock car racing, they didn't have the technology, they didn't have the rules that they have today. Uh, you know, it, it was a purely mechanical sport, and today, you know, a lot of that has changed. So, you know, as Daryl has tried to keep up with the times, you know, we've, we've sometimes said that, you know, maybe he's not as close to the sport. But, you know, his wealth of knowledge over the years is is just as impactful and just as meaningful uh, because if we don't know the stories of the sport, if we don't know uh, where we came from, and if we don't have the people like uh, Daryl Waltrip around to tell those stories, then, you know, the the stories of today sometimes don't matter as much because, you know, we all had to get here some way, somehow, and, and that was the bridge from then to now, and Daryl Waltrip stepping out of the booth, um, you know, his impact will be felt around the sport. Um, you know, he, he could, he could, he, he had a lot of influence with uh, uh, TV and drivers and, and, and crews, and he can go and talk to them and, and, uh, and gather the necessarily information to, to discern it back to us, uh, on, on air each week. And, you know, while, you know, his, his commentary on the air of calling the races, um, you know, everybody has their own style, and I think he'll be missed. Well, he definitely will be missed, that's for sure. You know, it's it's kind of comical, if, especially for those of us that know the history of the sport and have been around the sport for a long time. You know, back in the day when Daryl was still in the car, Daryl and Jeff uh, raced against each other. And, and uh, to use a, a cliche as, uh, uh, saying, you know, he basically felt like uh, Jeff Gordon was like one of these young whippersnappers coming up trying to trying to uh, take over the sport. And as we've we've seen generations of of drivers who the young drivers are now the old drivers, and now we have the young drivers. And we look at like Jeff Gordon and now Chase Elliott, and we look at uh, you know. But <laughs> truth be told, Daryl Waltrip and Jeff Gordon. Uh, we're, 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 let's just say maybe not rival enemies, but they certainly did not like each other. And, and basically Jeff Gordon back in the day was like, Hey, DW, get out of the way, just get out of the car, You're too, get out of the way, old man. And there was that strife strife between the two of them 
that really when when Jeff Gordon retired and they came to DW and said, hey, we'd like to bring uh, Jeff Gordon in, there was a time there where, where DW said, not not here, not me. But they worked through that. But now it, it seems like they have become friends since they become in the broadcast booth. But they really were uh, arch rivals for the longest of times. Yeah, I, I think you did kind of hit on the point, and a lot of us did see the same thing that you know the the being in the booth together, especially for that first season together, it, it or even for a majority of that first season, there was a lot of um, you you could tell each of them were were trying to talk over one another, each of them were still kind of at one another's throats because they would call one another out on. Uh, one thing or another, and you know they they seem to be some on air bickering um you know the you know subtle jabs and on air bickering that you know didn't devolve into to total fights or anything like that, but you you could tell that there there was still that angst between the two and they've worked it out and, and they became very good partners in in the t v booth and I think that just goes back to to what drivers you know on the track. These drivers are on the track. Uh, they're with one another, but you know, 38, 38 weeks a year, and you know, sometimes sometimes these rivalries don't just end when they get out of the car. I mean, we hear years and years down the line, um, you know, these drivers that 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 beat and bang and had fist fights, and you know, these these rivalries went on for years after they got out of the cars, and you know, we've heard the Allensons talk about it, we've heard the Yarboroughs talk about it, we we we've heard numerous other drivers that have been in the cars and said the years down the line, you know, we never talked to one another, we just didn't do it because you know it just you know we never let it go and. Um, <clears throat> I think the same was happening here, but you know, in, in time, sometimes you know, times change people's minds, especially when you work that close together. Um, you know, they have time before when they're off the air, when they're on the air, um, they can air some of these grievances out and sometimes come to a common place. And I think that's exactly what we saw between Jeff Corn and Daryl Waltrip um, being in the booth for so long that they were able to work some of these ad, these issues out that they had between them. And, uh, you know, we, we've seen them work together very, very closely this season. And, and this is even before the announcement came back. You could just tell that the dynamic and the booth between the two was a whole lot different. Now, maybe they already knew, you know, months earlier in Daytona before they came to Bristol, you know, six, seven weeks later and said, you know, I'm going to step out of the booth. And maybe they already knew this. And maybe that changed a lot of things, but you know, uh, either way, I think we saw a different dynamic this year between Jeff Gordon and Daryl Walter Jr. And we even saw a lot of that, you know, some last year too. But you know, there's a lot of growing pains, and they worked a lot of this stuff out. And I think that they're right. I think they have become good friends. I think that they will continue to talk. I don't think that they'll stop talking and just become mortal enemies yet again. I think you know that's a productive future for the two. Yeah, absolutely, and I think so. And it, it, it's it was it's a, it was a fun rivalry. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about the Xfinity races. It rolls off this afternoon, three thirty. NBC uh, Sports and NBC picks it up from here. Uh, obviously, Fox's uh, term for twenty nineteen is over, uh, so NBC picks it up. MRN has the call. I I tell you what, I I I guess I'm just a radio guy and a radio fan. I, I mute my television and listen to the MRN call because I tell you what. If you've not listened to the to the NASCAR MRN call, they nail it. 
nail it. They make you feel like you're there. Absolutely. But Tyler Reddick, Cole Custer, Christopher Bell, Joey Logano, Michael Annette, Ross Chastain, uh, Justin Haley, uh, Chase Briscoe, Zane Smith, and John Namachek all round out uh, the fastest in practice so far. It looks like a good day for Chevy today. Let's talk about the Xfinity Series in Chicagoland this afternoon. Well, I think we'll just continue to talk about the same old people. Um, you know, Chris Bell continues to be the cream of the crop in the Xfinity Series. Um, you know, and, and, you know, again, he continues to be that cream of the crop, but he also continues to be asked, what are you doing next year? Are you going to be back in the Xfinity Series car? Are you going to finally move the cup, et cetera, et cetera? And, you know, he, he – uh, you know, I think he has a lot of legitimacy in the fact of people asking this question so often and and so frequently as to, you know, when are you going to get in a cup car? Because he wrote, performs very, very well in, in the Xfinity Series car. He's been there for a lengthy amount of time. You know, typically a longer amount of time that we see some of these development drivers in the Toyota camp um, just doesn't stick around too long in the Xfinity Series couple, two seasons or something like that. But, you know, he continues to just chug on down the line and yeah, I think, you know, every single week he's a threat to win. Um, you know, there's there's few other drivers out there except for when Kyle Busch gets in a car or, you know, somebody else, a Cup Series driver gets in a car and uh, goes out there and dominates a race. But, you know, for him, uh, I think he's just dominating a lot of this season, a lot of the headlines right there. I think he'll continue to do it even this weekend at Chicago. Um, and I, I would just, you know, if you're, if you're uh, checking some boxes off on who's going to go to victory lane Pick check by later this afternoon. I'd look at Christopher Bell because honestly, um, you know, I think he is the cream of the crop right now. And you know, while there is a couple three out there that you know are competitive week in and week out, he just seems to dominate the spotlight almost every single weekend. All right, let's uh, uh, real quickly we'll wrap it up with the the big boys Monster Energy Series Chicago Land. Uh, what what do we got going on? What are the storylines? What are the uh, what What's going on? And, and, and by the way, also while we're doing this, go ahead and talk with us about the the track itself and give us the breakdown of the track and what can we expect for tomorrow's race, three o'clock in Chicago. Well, the one thing I wish that they would do out in Chicago is I think they need to open up some more lanes out there. Um, you know, whether they need to put some compound down out there, whether they need to run tire dragon out there, spread this, spread these. Uh, uh, um, spread these grooves out a little bit more um they i i unfortunately i think you know we're going to see some of the same type of racing that we've seen in the past at chicago now i know that we've tried to play around with the with the package and hope to get some of these a little bit closer but um I'm not sure if Chicago lands the right place that is going to see a discernible difference like we have seen it like a uh, Charlotte a couple of weeks ago where we were running very, very close together all the way around the racetrack. Um, but, you know, again, uh, you know, I could, I could be surprised because I have been surprised at some of these tracks that uh, just the package itself has closed up the field a little bit more than, than, than we've seen in previous years. But um you know, Joe Logano, he he's uh he's out there. He's trying to prove himself yet again this year that he is the defending series champion out there. Um, and and for him, he's already he's leading the points this far into the season. Um, but when when you look back through the field with the with the, <clears throat> sorry Kyle Busch right behind him, I mean he's got four wins more than more than anybody else except for Martin Truex Jr., which is uh 
you know, not really all that unsurprising to me that, you know, he's moved over and, you know, they're they're putting together wins at Martin Truex Jr. because they're just using the same technology, the same people in place, same crew chief. So, you know, that's really not shocking. But the shocking really part to me is that Stuart Haas Racing has not dominated this season like we saw last year and in the previous season. We've not seen uh, Kevin Harvick go to victory lane one out of every four or five races throughout the year. He's still winless right now. Um, it seems to be Penske Racing right now that has the dominant factor on the Ford cam. Uh, Joe Logano, obviously, and, you know, uh, Brad Keselowski is working his way up there at the same time. Brian Blaney is uh, out there, and they seem to be leading a lot of times uh, when uh, Stuart Haas Racing just isn't doing so. And whether it's just the changeover to the new body or, or, or whatever the case is, uh, I'm not quite sure at this point what it is, but, you know, hopefully Stuart Haas Racing will step it up a little bit because we've even seen teams like uh, 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 Ryan Newman over at, uh, at Rash Fenway Racing um, and St- uh, Ricky Stenhouse, two teammates over there, that we've not traditionally talked about running at the top, top of the field. Last week, uh, uh, Ryan Newman w- had a good quality top five finish out there at Sonoma, uh, and this isn't the first, you know, top five, top ten finish that we've seen out of Ralph Fenway this year. They're getting progressively better. And uh, when we're talking about Ralph Fenway uh, more than we're talking about uh, Stuart Haas Racing, then maybe they do need to make some wholesale changes over at Stuart Haas Racing. And what that is, I don't know because I'm not an engineer and I'm not going to try and play uh, uh, couch quarterback. Uh, on a Sunday morning, but uh, you know, I, I I think we're we're seeing some teams getting progressively better. Like I said, the Ralph and Ray racing, where we've seen uh, Stuart Haas uh, struggle, and um, we're going to talk about big two or three, which seem to be uh, Kyle Busch, Joey Logano, and uh, Martin Truex Jr. Um, so the, I think those are going to be our continuous spots every single weekend that we're going to talk about, and I don't think that's going to be any different this weekend, honestly. Dave Wilson of Speedway Digest, editor-in-chief of Speedway Digest. Check them out at SpeedwayDigest.com. Uh, they will always be the place to go to follow them at, at Speedway Digest. Steve, uh, where can people find you working your masterpieces? I know I just said that, but it's a lot more official when it comes out of your mouth as opposed to mine. <laughs> <laughs> you can follow us at Speedway Digest on Twitter, Facebook.com, slash Speedway Digest, and SpeedwayDigest.com. Steve, you have yourself a good uh, race weekend uh, on this side of hell, if you will. Uh, maybe have a, a few brewskis. Enjoy your weekend, sir. All right. Thanks a lot. You too. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Steve Wilson, Speedway Digest, uh, helping us break down what's going down in Chicago. Up next, Matt Hicks joins us. We're going to be talking just a gamut of sports. We're going to be playing the homer card a little bit with the Pacers uh, and the free agency coming up here uh, starting tonight. No, no, I'm sorry. It starts on the first. I apologize, but still, this weekend, my name is Tom Marquez, El Presidente, 917-889-8516. Digits. We'll be right back right here on the Balance Radio Network. Air National.
National Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family, so the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive-through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Simba Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Portland, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? Welcome back to The Balance. My name is Tom Mark with El Presidente. One hour in the can or in the books, if you say. Thanks to Matthew Embry uh, taking some time away from the U.S. Uh, senior Open up there in South Bend, uh, WSBT, to give us a call, talk with us a little bit about that. Also, uh, some IndyCar. He's our official IndyCar contributor. Steve Wilson of Speedway Digest just joined us in talking about NASCAR rolling off up in Chicagoland. But now we have Mr. Matthew Hicks. The fan of all fans and help me play the homer card as well. Matt, welcome back to the balance. How are you, sir? I'm well. How are you? 
I'm good. I am so glad we don't have rain. I'll take this hot, humid, muggy day all day long. <laughs> yeah. I would get Me out too. there and work on my farmer's tan. <laughs> Yeah. Work on my farmer's stand. Hey, thanks for joining us. We'll talk a little bit about the Pacers and the Colts, but most importantly, uh, big, big news breaking with the uh, Pacers. A lot of people might not know this, but Darren Collison announces his retirement, cites religious faith reasons. Um, as if we didn't have, an, you know, you know, the Pacers and Pritchard, oh, they got all this money, they got all this cap pay, pay space. I mean, we we don't know where Savona's going to go. We don't know what to do. But now we got another hole to fill. Uh, Darren Collison uh, retires, age 31, uh, from the Indiana Pacers. Obviously, he's been with the Mavericks and the Hornets as well. Uh, but retiring from uh, the Pacers just gives him yet another hole they have to fill. Well, and and, and frankly, I think I, I think the Pacers viewed that already as a hole they had to fill. I think. Um, if you follow the uh, rumor mill, scuttlebutt was that they were going to look to upgrade at the point guard position. He was a free agent. Um, so the timing is, well, listen, when you retire at 31, I think the timing is interesting no matter what the reasons are. Um, but it, it's, it's a fascinating situation because I don't know that he was going to be brought back, um, though I did um, – read a Mark Monteith uh, tweet or article saying that he was speaking at the end of last season that he knew he was going to have to be a backup again. So maybe, maybe the plan was to bring in uh, a starting point guard and have Collison be the backup. But the way they feel about Aaron holiday, the way the Pacers feel about Aaron holiday, I just can't imagine that Corey Joseph or Darren Collison fit in to their future plans. Now, maybe, you know, Lord knows, what do I know? But it just seems to me that at this point, I'm not sure either player, uh, Joseph or Collison, fit into the Pacers' plans. Now, maybe they did, but them both being free agents um, heading into the offseason here, Collison would have gotten a job, and and it, he would have found $10, $12 million uh, uh, to play next season almost with several choices, I'm sure. I'm just not sure the Pacers were going to be one of them. You know, uh, we we got Savona, which is probably. I mean, here's the thing: as as we look at the at, at the NBA, as, as, uh, NBA. I'm sorry, I can't even talk today. It's only Saturday. I don't know why I can't talk. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but the NBA seems to be getting smaller. And in other words, the big men aren't as prevalent as they were. Those teams that are looking for big men are going to be calling the Pacers and talking to the Pacers and wanting to to make some deals. Uh, and we need to keep bonus here, here. But I tell you what, I also need to – we need to accept the fact that uh, Derrick Rose is not coming to the Pacers. Uh, so, at least in my opinion. Uh, but um, – so Sabona stays with the Pacers or goes? Um, yeah, I, I think he's – I think um, – well, it's a really interesting situation. First of all, um, we're going to learn a lot about what they feel. I, I'm, I'm going to go take you down a road here, okay? It, okay. We're going to learn a lot about this team in the next 24 hours. Um, everything you're reading says that the Pacers are going to bring in Ricky Rubio. Now, 
a lot of people are not on board with this. With the way this current team is set up, I really am. He's he, Ricky Rubio is one of the best passers in the NBA. His issue is he can't shoot to save his life. Now, in the modern NBA, the, a point guard that can't hit a three is a disaster. So that's where their issue is going to be. But with pick and pop going on and Sabonis's biggest weapon being the pick and roll and then that cut to the basket, it, I, I think this is a perfect fit. Now, here's, here's kind of where I'm going to answer your question in a very roundabout way. <laughs> if they bring in Ricky Rubio, if they bring in at 12.01 tomorrow morning, tonight, tomorrow morning, however you want to look at it, if they bring in Ricky Rubio, that tells me they're going to keep Sabonis at least to start the season and see how this thing works with a starting line, lineup of Ricky Rubio, uh, question mark at two until Victor Oladipo's healthy. I, I expect him to bring back William Bogdanovich. And then the four, to me, the starting four is Sabonis. And the starting five is Miles Turner. Um, so we'll see how that all works out. T.J. Warren, to me, takes the Tyreek Evans role off the bench. And then we go from there. Do they, do they make a trade? They'll have some cap space to, to play with still, even with bringing in Ricky Rubio. Do they make a trade with Houston to bring in Eric Gordon? That, to me, take out the fact that he went to North Central, that, to me, makes a lot of sense because here's a guy that's used to coming off the bench most of his career, but he's also used to playing those big minutes when he's needed. He'll be needed until about January to play huge minutes, and then his role will go back to the bench uh, when Oladipo is, is ready to go. So those are some moves that make a lot of sense to me. Now, here's how this all blows up. If Sabonis and Turner can't coexist in the starting lineup, you have to trade Sabonis while his value is high. Turner, I'm not sure you're going to be able to get good value for Miles Turner. You can get great value for Sabonis. You can probably get a um, maybe maybe a borderline all-star, probably somebody that hasn't made the all-star team that but maybe as one of those fringe all-star players and a draft pick for Sabonis because you're going to be able to, to take back some salary in return. And that's why trades in the NBA are always so difficult. Most teams are over the cap, so you can't really make a trade unless it's salary equals salary equals salary. But if the Pacers don't do a ton here this offseason, they'll have about $9 million to play with when the season starts. And that really is beneficial when trade season comes. So, if Sabonis and Turner can't work in the starting lineup, I would expect a trade deadline move to happen rather than it to happen here in the offseason, unless I don't know anything, which is A, very possible, or B, all this Rubio, all this Ricky Rubio talk is a smokescreen and they're really going to go after hard somebody else. I don't, I'm with you. I don't think D'Angelo Russell's coming here. Um, I think he's going to wind up with the Knicks or, or back with the Nets. Uh, obviously, they are not in the Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard conversation. Um, and, and frankly, to do that, they would have to blow this team up. I mean, you want to talk about bringing back Boyan Bogdanovich to bring back any, really any max player, which we assume D'Angelo Russell is going to be. You can't bring back Bogdanovich. Like, you have to renounce his rights. They appear to have already moved on from Thad Young, though they've not renounced his rights yet. Um, you'd have to obviously move on from Collison, which they're going to do, obviously. 
they'll renounce those rights and Corey Joseph too. So there's a lot of, a lot of, to get to a max level deal, there's a lot of finagling they'll have to do. And I just don't see this team wanting to do that. I, I think, you know, if the reports are true, that they can get Ricky Rubio for $15 million or so dollars a year for a two- or three-year deal. The way this team is made up, again, assuming you bring back Bogdanovich, that makes a hell of a lot of sense to me. It, it really does. It, it, to me, it looks like a really efficient offensive team with, yes, some defensive liabilities, but a really nice bench when you add in T.J. Warren and whenever you, whatever you do with the Victor Oladipo situation, whether it's bringing Wesley Matthews back, whether it's, you know, if it is Edmund Sumner for a while, I, I don't know what the answer is there yet. I think that is a TBD situation who will be the starting two on opening night. Uh, and maybe, again, maybe through, you know, the next 24 hours, we'll, we'll learn that situation. But I, I would not rule out a trade for a, for one of those many billion second round picks they have for an Eric Gordon. Right. Right. And you know, Greg Doyle, you either love or hate Greg Doyle. I I, I don't want to use the word hate because it's a strong word, but I I disagree with him a lot. But what thing I can agree with him on yesterday, I heard him on a, on a local radio station here in Indianapolis uh, talking about why it's hard for not only the Pacers, but Colts. Why is it hard for Indianapolis to get, some A-list people like your Durants, like your uh, Kwais, and, and a lot of it is not just about money. It, it goes a lot deeper than that. Uh, we're in the Midwest. Uh, we don't have a skyline. Uh, we don't uh, have water, um, and we're a red state. Uh, I, I guess it goes political too. Uh, so a lot of players just are just like, yeah, if you're the Pacers, don't come talking, but the Pacers – could definitely benefit from some of these A-list people. What, what are your thoughts on that? Like I said, I mean, I don't well, like Greg at all. I just don't agree with him a lot. But that's okay. That's that's okay. We, we, that's we're what, well, we're that's all Americans. We can agree to disagree. <laughs> yeah. And that's what a college you know, is for. You know, I, you know right. they, they, they hopefully make you think and you either have an opinion one way or the other. And he does a nice job of that. Um, he, he really does. Um, yeah. I would agree with him. I find it kind of interesting because, you know, when you talk about of the 21st century, right, you know, obviously we're young into the 21st century, you, you can probably name three athletes before you get to Peyton Manning as the most famous, popular, at least in America. Now, I'm not talking about worldwide because obviously that's LeBron. And then you have Tiger and then you maybe have Lewis Hamilton, you know, but or, or you know or for soccer you know players, but Manning is pretty high up on that list, right? He played most of his career where mm-hmm. in Indianapolis. So I understand what people say, but at the same time, it can be obviously be done. He made more off of endorsements than he did off of the Colts or the NFL, so it it can be done. However, the Pacers are not in any situation to add a high-profile free agent because, frankly, and I, I don't want to be, like, negative about it, but there's just, they're just not that good. They're not mm-hmm. in a situation where Kevin Durant makes them a championship contender overnight because, by the way, Kevin Durant's going to miss an entire season. You know, Clay Thompson coming here makes the Pacers very, very good. Does it make them as good as Toronto? 
depending on it, well, Leonard comes back, as of course what we're assuming. It probably makes them as good, but it doesn't doesn't make them the clear cut favorite in the East. I don't think. I think there are very few players that would make the Pacers the best team in the NBA, and I think that's the type of situation they would need to be in to attract one of these type of players because that's really one of the things they're looking for. The other thing they're looking for is the big market. You know, the the Knicks are going to get one of these guys because if they come in and win the Knicks a championship, they're going to build a statue for them. I mean, and you're going to be, you know, in you know the biggest city in the world and all that nonsense with the Knicks. There's, it's so high profile. The Pacers and Milwaukee and, and even to a lesser extent Toronto, they fight the same battle. It's, it's, it is media market size, and it's just a harsh reality, and I, I agree with Greg. I, I just don't think where the Pacers are right now from a, from a win-loss standpoint it, it wouldn't make much sense for one of these guys to come here um, other than, of course, the financial thing. Because, again, keep my argument earlier, they would have to completely change their team to bring in just one of these guys. These other teams, like the Lakers, they've already got LeBron James. They've got Anthony Davis. They can bring in a third max player and, and really have something special, potentially. Like if D'Angelo Russell were to go back to the Lakers, which I've not heard that's even a possibility, but I mean, if you think about that, like suddenly that's a chance for to be really a, an elite team. I, I'm not sure if you get one of those guys, the Pacers are elite. They're really good, and they're right up there with everybody in the league. But are they the clear-cut favorite? I don't. I don't think so. And when you add in market size, it's just it's a harsh reality. It's just it's just the it's the nature of the beast. Well, absolutely. We're talking with Matthew Hicks. Uh, uh, been around the indie sports world for a long time, helping me play the Homer card. I know we're a national show, but we're we, we're, we're tying in the all the NBA uh, uh, free agency stories. There perhaps no bigger need uh, that the Pacers need than a starting point guard. That's for sure. And there are many NBA v- veterans hitting the uh, free agency that could fill that. We, we talked about Ricky Rubio, but what about what are your thoughts about uh, Patrick Beverly and George Hill? What are your thoughts about them? Yeah, you know, again, I, I think you have to determine uh, George Hill is no longer a starting point guard. He's a fine NBA player. Um, but Beverly, to me, doesn't seem like a, an option in my head, but perhaps he is. Um, Beverly, to me, again, doesn't, to me, almost fits worse than Rubio. Now, I know, like, a lot of fans, again, are down on Rubio, but his game to me makes a lot of sense to the Pacers. You know, what he does, you know, he's a guy that can, that can score if he has to, but his job is to facilitate the other four guys on the court. And I think with what that starting lineup could look like, that just makes a lot of sense to me. You know, he doesn't need to average more than 10 or 11 points a game, but if he's in the high, you know, eight to nines assists per game, that's what you're looking for from him. So, you know, to your point, uh, Beverly, that to me is a score force point guard that, that I'm not sure fits with what they're trying to do. Now, George Hill is interesting. If you're in a situation, and by the way, I've read that Milwaukee would like to bring him back. They just didn't want to guarantee mm-hmm. his whole salary. But, mm-hmm. but regardless, um, George Hill is interesting 
because rumor is they tried to bring him back last year, uh, but money just didn't quite work out. And if you're not quite ready to declare Aaron Holiday the backup point guard, maybe you bring in George Hill. Or, again, with the uncertainty of Victor Oladipo, is George Hill a guy you bring in to be essentially the third guard in the rotation? You know, are Holiday and, and Hill, would they be three and four in the guard rotation until Oladipo's back? You know, that's an interesting thought. And, again, I don't know where the Pacers are at right now with thinking about Oladipo. Are they thinking about Oladipo as somebody that's going to play in January, or are they penciling him in for opening night? Now, I think it would be foolish to pencil him in for opening night. I think you have to yeah, get a plan for two, two. two or three months of the season. And what is that plan? Could George Hill be a part of that? Well, that could make sense. And, again, here's a guy that's come off the bench here for the last couple of years for – uh, championship contenders. So this is not a foreign concept to him. And obviously he started here for years. So, and he started in San Antonio too. So, I mean, it's a situation where that would make some sense to me again, if, if they're not quite ready to hand over the, the, the backup reins to holiday yet, or maybe they see holiday as a two here for a little while longer uh, before they're ready to move him over to the one full time. And, and, you know, in the bird years, positions were like so unimportant. They just like, hey, you're bringing the ball up. You're, yeah, you're, you know, you're going to guard the other point guard, but we're not going to call you a point guard. You're just a guard. You're a forward. You know, so I don't know where they are necessarily in that situation too. If it's just they want versatile guys, and boy, does George Hill fit that bill? You know, a guy that can still d people up, can score. I mean, gosh, he up, he upped his points per game in the playoffs like four points over the regular season I mean he's still got it. there's no question there he can still play um, Beverly to me is not as much of a fit um, the other guard for Milwaukee Brogdon is an interesting tack um, probably a little cheaper than Ricky Rubio can score can pass uh, defends well he's a guy that you, you, you don't really hear a lot about but a free agent that could be perhaps, you know, on this team again in 24 hours that, that you know, we may, may have not been on the radar or, or, or maybe he was, and we just don't know it. You know, we, we talk about this big cap space and this, this big purse and, and big wallet, if you will, that the Pacers have. And, you know, historically, the, the restricted free agent market hasn't historically been something that the Pacers have really pursued. Maybe that changes right. this year. Well, let's, you know, we talked a little bit about uh, D'Angelo Russell, but there's uh, Malcolm Brogdon or, dare we say it, right. Terry Rosier. Yeah, yeah, and, and again, uh, you know, we it's again the next twenty four thirty six hours are going to be so interesting because we're going to learn what other teams' plans are too. You know, Kyrie Irving is a big domino. So when Irving signs away from Boston, do they chase a point guard or do they just go with Terry Rozier? You know, do they do they make him uh, stay or? does Boston try to bring somebody else in at another position and have to renounce Terry Rozier and he becomes an unrestricted free agent. These are all things that will happen that are all possible. Um, or do, do the Pacers make a big offer on Rozier? And I think he's, that's a possibility. I mean, do they make a big offer and make Boston match it or not? You know, I think those are all 
interesting propositions, you know. Well, we'll see. We'll definitely see what happens over the uh, over the next uh, twenty four hours. Let's kind of move over to the Colts real quickly. There, uh, what yeah. do, what do we know? Any any anything uh, new and exciting uh, from uh, West Fifty Sixth Street as we get ready for OTAs? And man, we're coming closer and closer to uh, uh, yeah. camp and, and closer and closer to preseason. It's just it's only yeah, July. It, Come on. It's time, it's time to start football yeah. again. Isn't it? I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just, it's just crazy. Um, how quickly it all goes. And, 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 and I've said before, this Colts team is going to be really good. Are they going to be good enough to win a Super Bowl? Well, you know, listen, that's always very difficult. You know, it's one and done in the tournament and, you know, a, a bad day is a bad day. You know, that's just the way it goes. But I think they're going to be pretty darn good. I really do. And, and to me, I'd be pretty surprised if they didn't win the division. Um, but you never know how things go. People get hot and that's the way it, that's the way it works sometimes. So we'll see. But I think with what's coming back and, and as this defense evolves and the offense kind of, evolves if you will too i expect this team to to put up a lot of points and to be pretty stout defensively there's going to be groups that give them trouble um and the division is seemingly better right i mean we think the division is better houston's all we know is pretty good tennessee should be better and jacksonville um gets rid of blake bortles but but we joke about blake bortles but the reality of it is he actually played well against the colts for the last two seasons so you know, we, we like to kid about Bortles, but but that that actually may be a good thing for the Colts that he's gone because he has played pretty well against Indianapolis. So uh, we'll see. You sound like Donald Trump now. We will see. We'll see. <laughs> U.S. Women's Soccer—they're going to take it all away. I mean, what a win against Fong. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's—I mean, they're just—they're just so good. I mean, they're just so good. You know, they're. I would be shocked if they didn't at this point, right? They just got two more games, right? Uh, to the knockout round of the quarter, I guess. Two more games, two more games, and yeah, I think they, they have England coming up next. I, I don't have it up here in front of me, but either which way, I, that sounds right. But yeah, it's they're just so good. They're Go really Team good. USA, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Matt yeah. Hicks, I appreciate you joining us today. Talk a little Homer card with us. Um, yeah. Are you still publishing your masterpieces? Where can people find you? Yeah, <laughs> I don't really do a lot on there right now. Uh, Hickson05. It's going to be an interesting, you know, 36, 48 hours for the Pacers. I mean, obviously, the offseason is long, and a lot can happen. I mean, I remember several years ago, um, they made a late trade, that, you know, like two weeks before camp. I can't remember the pieces and parts of it, but I mean, obviously, things can happen whenever, but but my guess is we're going to know what this team is going to look like for the most part in the next two or three days, give or take. So it's going to be an interesting little time here. And, and uh, yeah, the, the monkey was thrown into the wrench last night, um, the wrench or vice versa <laughs> uh, with Collison retiring. Pick that monkey but, up, throw uh, him right into the wrench there. <laughs> yeah. Throw him right into that wrench. Yeah. Um, uh, the monkey threw the wrench into things, I guess is what you say. With, with Collison retiring. But, I, again, I'm not positive he was going to be back anyway. And I don't think he was going to be back in the starting role. Again, if you believe what you read. And who knows what's true. You know, that's the, time, that's the one thing I will leave you with this time of year. And I've learned this um, many different ways in my time in 
Indianapolis media, but you never know who's putting information out there. It could be an agent. Mm-hmm. It could be another mm-hmm. GM. It could be, it could be the, the GM of the team you root for. It could be a reporter trying to get a, a name for himself. You just don't know who's putting information out there. So this Rubio stuff could be completely true, or it can, can be completely wild, and the Pacers aren't even considering him. So it's just you just don't know until you know, and and and, and really, you know, the, the guy that I would be waiting for is uh, Wojnowski. So if you see a Woj bomb with the Pacers on it tonight or tomorrow, <laughs> then you can probably take that to the bank. Woj bomb. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right, Matthew, you have yourself a good weekend, sir. We'll catch up with you Thank on the you. other side. All right, buddy. That sounds great. Thanks, man. Uh-huh. Matt Hicks uh, joins us, talking us a little homework cards, just bringing us bringing us into the to the homeward bound, if you will. Nine one seven eighty nine eight five one six is our digits. We're supposed to be joined here uh, in a few moments by Tony Donahue of the Tony D Podcast. Maybe we'll have a sighting at Mo for the BS Sports Show. He said his flight got delayed. We'll see what happens. My name's Tom Marquis. We got thirty minutes left. Stick around. We'll be right back. States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family. So the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio. See the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Simba Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous pork chop down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Portland, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. 
All right, welcome back to The Balance. We've got 30 minutes left. We've got 90 minutes in the can. Thank you to Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor, uh, splitting duty with us uh, with the U.S. Senior Open up there in South Bend. Obviously, calling us from WSBT up there, our official IndyCar uh, contributor. And Steve Wilson, editor-in-chief of SpeedwayDigest.com, calls us from down in Virginia, talking about NASCAR rolling off in Chicagoland. And we just got off the phone with our good friend, Matt Hicks, been around the Indianapolis media for a long time, playing the Homer card with me with Pacers and talking about what's going on with the free agency. But joining us now, a surprise is Mo from the BS Sports Show and Tony Donahue from the Tony D uh, podcast. And Mo was not going to join us. He was uh, supposed to be on a flight to Denver, but it got delayed a little bit. So he's like, hey, I'll, I'll come. I miss you guys. I really want to talk with you. Mo, how are you, sir? Good, buddy. How are you? Uh, fantastic. Tony, how are you, sir? Great. Good morning. How's it going? Fantastic. Guys, I know we, we're all kind of Indiana folks. We're spread out all over the place. I know this is a national show, so we'll play this home card just a little bit longer. We'll start with you, Mo. Over the next uh, 48 hours, we're going to see either a new Pacers uh, uh, team or status quo. What are your thoughts, Mo? Well, I mean, if you look at the uh, the past, there's never usually, you know, really big free agent moves made by the Pacers at this point in the season. There are a lot more. They tend to, uh, you know, find guys who have been waived that help their team. Uh, the retirement of Darren Collison last night, I think, caught uh, people by surprise. I, I think Kevin Pritchard realized, though, that he probably wasn't going to come back to the Pacers anyway. Uh, you know, there, there's been talk of uh, D'Angelo Russell. I don't know that maybe that's the best fit for the Pacers. I think the Pacers have to do something to uh, put more scoring around uh, Victor Oladipo, especially uh, if Bogdanovich is no longer going to be there. So uh, it, it feels like with drafting this big guy that maybe one of our other bigs could be on the move. So uh, Kevin Pritchard normally not super active in, in this free agency period, but I think this year he's going to have to make some moves. Well, I'll tell you one thing, uh, Tony, we've got to get a point guard. And, you know, uh, we, we look at people that might be available out there, and one of the names, uh, the buzzwords names that are flying around is R- Ricky Rubio, of course, Patrick Beverly, and George Hill, maybe in, in the short term, especially if you think Holiday is going to fill that role later on down the road, Tony. What are your thoughts? I think George Hill just has Lakers written all over him, doesn't he? goes back and joins uh, – joins LeBron James to try to win a championship. I could just see that. Um, I think Ricky Rubio is probably going to be, obviously, who the Pacers target, uh, maybe Eric Gordon in a trade. But, 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 you know, as Mo mentioned, this is not a place where those A and those B list uh, free agent names come to. I mean, this is the Pacers have had to scrap for the C and the D list. You think about the best free agent signing for the Pacers ever is probably David West, who was coming off of a surgery, and we didn't really know what he had. Um, I would love to see them go after Mag- uh, Brogdon from Milwaukee, but even him, I don't think is going to be interested in coming here. This is just a not an NBA destination city for free agents. I I don't know why. I don't know if it's because we don't have mountains and we don't have we don't have water. Uh, it's a great franchise <laughs> to play under. You never heard anybody say, "Oh man, I didn't I didn't enjoy my time in in Indianapolis." But um, you got to start looking at, okay, they're going to have to get scoring, like you said, but who's that going to be? Is it going to be a Contavious Caldwell-Pope? Is it going to be a Harrison Barnes, some guy who you could just see it now? Well, you know, he was a high draft pick, and he didn't work out in certain situations, but we brought him in here because he's still got tread on the tires, and we think that he can he can put up some points. Um, so it, it's going to be interesting to see what they do. 
Um, if they sign Bogey, they'll go after Ricky Rubio. If they don't sign Bogey back and Bogey gets a qualifying offer, um, he could, you know, I could see a, a major team, a team that's in contention going after Bogey, maybe Oklahoma City that needs a little bit more scoring and throwing him an offer that he can't refuse and the Pacers won't be able to match. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. I don't have um, big expectations. I mean, you got to make a run at these guys and just try, but I think they said, I think it was, it was either D'Angelo Russell or somebody else that they're not even, the Pacers aren't even on the, their radar. So um, it, it stinks as a Pacers fan. It stinks being here in Indianapolis, but we'll see what, what, what they can piece together to maybe get some scores in here. Well, you know, you made a valid point, and I heard that Greg Doyle yesterday on a local show yesterday afternoon uh, just talking about, hey, the, the reality is that Indiana is a Midwestern town. We don't have water, uh, and we're a red state. Now, I don't know how deep politics go into the thinking, oh, I'm not going to play for a team, but if they can put something together, Mo, and win 64 games, I think it doesn't really matter if we have mountains, waters, or if we're a red, blue, or a yellow state. Uh we're going to get players. We got to get to that. We got to get to where's, where's that market. Is it 64 wins? People start saying, okay, I'll start paying attention to the Pacers. Mo. You know, I, I'm not sure where the market is. The problem is I think <clears throat> for the Pacers is that everybody in the NBA now wants to be their own brand. And unless you're a guy who's a, a superstar like Zion coming out of college where he's going to be his own brand, no matter where he goes, NBA guys are worrying about being a brand, being their brand. And I, I feel like a lot of guys don't feel like they can do that in Indianapolis. Like they don't feel like they can do that uh, in some of these other smaller markets. So I think that's the one thing that hurts the Pacers more than anything is just the fact that guys want to be where they feel they can be the most marketable for themselves. They want to be in the L.A.s and the New Yorks. And you got guys talking about going to New York, you know, guys like Kevin Durant uh, uh, or Kyrie going to New York. That team's terrible. That franchise is, is run terribly by James Dolan. Uh, but guys know that they're going to be – even more marketable being in New York City. So the one thing that hurts the Pacers more than anything, I don't think it's wins, coaching, franchise, anything like that. It, it's just geography. So the Pacers are going to have to be a team that can continue to build either through trade, uh, like they did when they traded Paul Georgia and got the opponents in Victor Depot, or guys are going to be built through the draft, like we did with guys like, like Danny Granger and Paul George. We're going to have to build through the draft and through trade in order to be a, a championship contender. Let's talk a little bit. Uh, go back onto the uh, national scene, if you will, since we are a national show. We don't want to lose all of our listeners. We're talking about the Homer Homer cards, if you will. But but Tony, let's talk a little bit about free agency uh, getting underway th- this weekend. Uh, let's talk about some of the the uh, big names and the people of people. Let's talk about Derek Rose. Uh, obviously, enjoyed a little bit of a renaissance uh, this past season. Um, I, I think he's from Chicago. A lot of people think he's going to end up in Philadelphia. Uh, Derek Rose, what are, what are your thoughts, Tony? Yeah, there's a lot of dominoes to fall. And you look at um, Sunday, make sure your woe notifications are turned on so you don't get duped by a fake Adrian Wojnarowski account. Um, <laughs> I, I, think Rose would, I think Rose would fit in Philadelphia just because, you know, Ben Simmons can play the one, the two, maybe even the three if they had to. They can move him over. And if they're expecting to lose Tobias Harris and Jimmy Butler, they're going to have to find um, some scoring because we, we know Ben Simmons can – can assist the ball and can rebound, but sometimes he struggles with scoring. Joel Embiid can get you points when he plays. Um, you know, so you're going to have to fill a scoring void. JJ Reddick could be on the on the move too. Um, so I think Derrick Rose in Philadelphia is certainly a, a good fit. Um, he's a guy that, that that proved last year that he could stay healthy in Minnesota. He can put up points. I mean, he had a 50 point game last year. It was kind of the Derrick Rose of 2008 that we saw 
um, before all the injuries in his MVP season. So um, I certainly think that there's a chance that he ends up there. It would be a good fit. And a good for Derrick Rose, the guy who kind of everybody had written off and said, you know, he's done, he's injury-prone. And all of a sudden, you know, he's getting another big contract because he put up the numbers last year and was consistent and stayed healthy. So, but good for Derrick Rose. You like to see a guy that, you know, kind of quote-unquote lost everything there for a minute and then got it all back and, and proved that he still has it. No, I absolutely 100% agree. Uh, Mo, let's talk about Johannes Valalakakulakakulak. That name, yeah. He stays with the, the Grizzlies. What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, Valachunas is a guy who, you know, I think would... So you, would you make it sound so easy. You can you make it sound uh, yeah. so easy. Go ahead. He, he's I'm a guy that, uh, that definitely could help some uh, some NBA teams. You know, he, he's a guy that uh, is uh, is good for not only a starter, but good for points off the bench on a contender. I, I, you know, I, I don't know if, if the young, if the youth movement in Memphis will be enough to make him want to stay there, but... Uh, you know, there's definitely a lot of teams that are contending. I think that uh, that could definitely use him. Uh, you know, the the Raptors decided to make that move for Marcus Gasol and, and move on from him. But uh, you know, I, I definitely he's he's a guy I would definitely like to have on my team if I'm trying to compete for a championship. So it'd be interesting to see what happens. There's some exciting stuff going on down in Memphis with the, with these young guys. They're obviously uh, a ways away, but uh, it's definitely going to be an exciting team to watch down there. So it'll be interesting to see what he decides to do. Tony, does uh, Kelly Oberg Jr. stay with the Suns? Yeah, I mean, that's the guy that you think about. You know, when we talked about the Patriots getting those C and D and E-list talent, um, Oberg can score. He's fast. He's a high flyer, but he's very inconsistent. Um, I think he stays in Phoenix. I think he proved to them that he can score points. Um, he needed out of Washington when that trade happened because I don't think it was working between him and Bradley Beal and John Wall. Um, so I think he does end up staying in Phoenix. Um, he's kind of an underwhelming player. Um, I think the more interesting aspect would be, if we want to talk Kansas basketball players, is, is will the Timberwolves trade Andrew Wiggins and will the Pacers or some of these mid-level teams, maybe a Memphis who's trying to get as much scoring as they can, bring him in? Will he be on the move? I think Wiggins will stay in Minnesota, but I certainly think he's on the trading block. Well, I know I know you do a lot of uh, work up there in Chicago and Cleveland, for that matter. But I know you do a lot of coverage of the Bears and the Bulls. We talked about Rubio coming to the Pacers, but maybe the reality is that he's going to be a Chicago Bull and not an Indiana Pacer. I mean, the question though with the Bulls has been for the last few years is is what the hell what what the hell are they? You know, I mean. They were a team that uh, that traded, uh, you know, and, and made some trades and made some moves, but also, you know, stockpiled some older dudes. It's just they – I don't think they have an identity. I don't think the Bulls know who they are. And it, it, Ricky Rubio saying, I don't know what that really does for them at this point. I, I think that you've you got to figure out, if you're the Chicago Bulls, what, what kind of team are you? And right now it's just a hodgepodge mess, uh, and that's what it's continued to be for the last couple of years. They've got some good young players. Uh, they've made some questionable draft picks, but I – First and foremost, they just have to figure out what what they are, and I don't think they have a direction right now. Tony, the Knicks are no longer the dominant team in New York. People don't come to New York to play for the Knicks like they used to. They come to play for the Nets, not 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 the Knicks. Same town, same city. Knicks used to dominate that. Knicks will get Marcus Morris, but they won't even make a play for Kevin Durant or or some of the other big A list free agents to, that really would want to play in New York, they, they won't even make the play for that. So they're going to make a play for, for Marcus Morris, and they're going to get him. But 
why won't the the Knicks rebuild their face? I know they got to the playoffs and they're, maybe they're making things a little bit better, but now you think of the net the the Nets more than you think about the the Knicks in New York City. Yeah, like Mo said, just the way that the Knicks franchise has been ran over the last let's say five years kind of makes you you stop and think. Did you see what the Nets have done? The Nets have built with the draft. They got D'Angelo Russell in that trade. Um, they've moved some pieces. They had. You know, I mean, guys like like Dinwiddie, who was with the Bulls and got let go, um, it was kind of that grinded out team was what the Nets had last year to get to the playoffs and win some games. Uh, with the Knicks, you just you think, you know, why why wouldn't somebody want to go there? And it's got to be because the front office is just so kind of handcuffing themselves that they don't give them a chance to make a run at anybody. So. Um, I think the Knicks will see, oh, man, well, the Nets are getting all these stars and, and, and people are interested in the Nets. And if D'Angelo leaves and Kyrie can end up there and maybe even Durant, who their favorite to land Durant, um, I think if you're the Knicks, you got to take a step back and look and say, okay, what can we do to get back into that position? And maybe go after a guy like Clay Thompson or maybe go after um, some, some, some big names. So, um, yeah, I, I just I did maybe the appeal of the Knicks and so they've been a mediocre franchise for the last – 15 years kind of sticks and resonates in some of these people's some of these players minds and, and maybe the the glitz and the glamour of new york has just faded off for some of these players and and one of those players is deandre jordan mo uh he goes to houston what are your thoughts uh i think deandre jordan is a guy that could very well wind up with the lakers if the lakers cleared enough cap space to find another star but i think if the lakers are smart uh, at this point, you know, they'll try to bring, you know, use that over maybe three guys instead of one superstar. Uh, you know, reports last night uh, have said that uh, there is mutual interest between uh, DeAndre Jordan and the Lakers. It's uh, it's going to be weird to see, you know, but I think that the problem with DeAndre Jordan is you get you get great rebounding, you get great defense, but a team like the Lakers, I don't know that that's a great fit for him because the Lakers are going to need shooting, they're going to need scoring. You know, you've got guys in, in LeBron James and Anthony Davis that can score the ball close. Uh, but, you know, at, at some point you're going to need to find shooting for the Lakers. Houston would be interesting if uh, if Clint Capella's on the move. It's just, again, what has Houston decided they're going to be this year? They're another team that – are they going to be all James Harden all the time? And if so, they've got to realize sooner or later that, that formula doesn't work. So, DeAndre yeah. Jordan and Houston would definitely have the defense, but I don't know that that's, a, uh, that's the right fit for him. Tony, I, I, I felt – and we talked about this before last week uh, in the draft. We felt like the Celtics – did a good job in the draft and they were one of the winners and, and they, they obviously got Romeo and they've got Carson from Purdue, Romeo from IU, uh, but Terry Roser's the, the glue there, if you will. And he's the one that's going to make these young players great. Terry Roser stays with the Celtics. I mean, he's going to have interest. I know the Pacers uh, are going to throw an offer out at, at, at Rozier and say, look, Hey, we need a point guard, Aaron Carlson, who, as Mo mentioned, they didn't expect him to come back. He was he was never he was not going to come back. That was not the expectation. But they need a point guard. The thing that I look at with Rozier is he's a great player off the bench. How will he do in a starting role? And when Kyrie was out, he did step up and put up some good numbers. It'll be interesting to see where he lands. And I think Boston is probably obviously like you said the front runner to keep him because they know what they have and they'll be able to do so. Uh, but I think he'll certainly get interest from other teams, the Bulls, who possibly in a point guard, the Detroit Pistons, the Pacers, some of the teams that are maybe that in between the 6th and 10 range in, in the Eastern Conference. I think they'll throw some money at Rosier as well. 
Mo, a player that had kind of a silent but excellent season down in Orlando, uh, Terrence Ross. I see no reason why he needs to go anywhere. He's got a comfortable, he's got a good down there with the Magic. He has a comfortable and good, but at some point I, I think you want to be a little more competitive. I don't know that – I mean, Orlando, they uh, they got themselves in the playoffs. They beat Toronto uh, in a game, but – yeah, I guess it depends at this point in your career what you want to do. Do you want to uh, compete for a championship or do you want to compete to try to make the seventh or eighth spot in the playoffs? So, uh, you know, Orlando's a great city to live in, but, uh, you know, I guess it's going to depend on, on what uh, what his uh, his mindset is. Does he like the comfortable gig and, and hey, it's okay, or does he want to go win a championship? Tony, we, we've talked about the Lakers and we talked about what they're doing there. They, they have become the – Knicks, uh, as opposed to like so, like the, the Nets and the Knicks. We talk about the Lakers and the Clippers, and and the Lakers are quietly. Uh, if you watch the Game of Thrones, they're building their own little uh, secret thing going on here with uh, 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 LeBron James and and uh, 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 Space Jam Two and all the different angles that they're working. A guy is going to move across town, and that's pa- uh, Patrick Beverly. He's going to leave the Clippers, go to the Lakers. What are your thoughts? I mean, they. Uh, I thought Mo had a great point. If you're smart, you're the Lakers instead of going to get that one max guy and then filling the roster and the bench with a bunch of quote-unquote scrubs, that's not the way to go. You want to go get maybe a DeAndre Jordan for a little bit cheaper. Maybe you want to go get a George Hill. Um, maybe a Harrison Barnes, the guy who can, who can score off the bench because obviously you have to field at least – you're going to have to have some kind of bench. Um, LeBron can't do it all, and Anthony Davis can't do it all. Um, you know, and they have, what, four players on their contract right now. So it'll be interesting to see what the Lakers do. Uh, Patrick Beverly, it just, it'll be interesting to see if these players start taking a little bit of a pay cut like, like Anthony Davis did to kind of free up a little bit more salary to bring in another guy. Um, so it'll be interesting to see um, what the Lakers do. And like you said, I mean, you got you got Kobe calling Kawhi, you've got LeBron calling Kawhi, you've got, hey, I'll get you, hey, Clay Thompson's hurt, so we'll get you a spot in Space Jam too because we start filming this summer. Um, there's some promises that can be made there, and and what I've always said about the difference between the Lakers and a team like the Pacers is when you go to a Pacer game, you have, uh, you know, you 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 have Terry Lee Honda advertising on the backboard. You go to a Laker game when they're pulling out Maseratis at halftime that you could win by hitting a half-court shot. So it's just a different uh, appeal. It's different glitz and glamour. And uh, we'll see what the Lakers can do. But like Mo said, you could go after a, one more big guy, but you have to have ca- salary relief. You have to have other players. And, and uh, you know, Valanciunas is going out there would be, would, would, would be big. Is at the center off the bench. Um, and maybe some of these guys, like a Thomas Sadoransky, who's not going to demand that much money in the market that you know could be a, a decent player, um, I think could could end up out there. Uh, maybe a Glenn Robinson the third, who kind of got lost in the shuffle in Detroit, but um, still may have some quote-unquote tread on the tires for cheap. Um, and we'll see what they do. We'll see if a guy like maybe Terrence Ross has interest or if they go after guys like, you know, Shumpert, who has played with LeBron in the past, um, that, that could be cheap. Mo, well, I know I don't know how, where your flight is, I and mean, we're we're running uh, coming out and down to the end of the the clock here. Uh, but one good thing about winning the national champ, the NBA national championship, is that you won the NBA national championship, and you can say to your players, "We won it because of you." Kawhi is one of those. Obviously, uh, yes, they're they're going to be coming after him hard. And 
I don't know that we've gotten a firm commitment that he's going to go anywhere. Chances are that he will. But I think one guy will say, okay, Kawhi, if you want to go, I'll take this team over, and I'm going to make it my team, and that's Mark Gossel, uh with Toronto. He stays at home. Yeah, I mean, he, well, he's, I think he's definitely in Toronto to stay. But, uh, you know, when you, look at, uh, when you look at a guy like Kawhi, I think if he stays in Toronto, it's going to be like the LeBron James, you know, Cavs-type deal. It'll be a one-and-one. He'll sign for a year and have the option to opt out the year after. I don't think you see Kawhi sign a long – Kind of long-term deal, uh, you know, in, in Toronto. If he does stay, I think it'll be that LeBron James type Cleveland deal. You know, it, it, I guess it's going to depend what Kawhi wants to do. He's a different type of cat. What is it that he wants next? Does he want to go home to the West Coast? Does he want to play with with LeBron and uh, and Anthony Davis? Is that what he wants to do? Because you know, again, I don't know that uh, if if you get Kawhi and you spend all that money on him in LA, that he plays more than sixty or sixty-five games for you this year and, and gets ready for the playoffs like last year. That's going to be the thing. It's the new trend, I think, this year for superstars, uh, even even guys uh, that, that you're going to sign as free agents. Is, I, I think that whole load management thing is going to be become the new term in the NBA this year. So, uh, you know, Kawhi could very well wind up in Toronto, but if he does, I think it's a short-term deal. Mo, appreciate you jumping on with us today. Uh, sometimes flight delays are to the benefit of others. I hope you have a good time out there in Colorado, sir. All right, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks. Mo for the BS Sports Show. You catch him at Mo Radio on, on Twitter. Real quickly, we'll wrap things up here with uh, Tony Donahue of the, of the Tony D Podcast. Real quickly, we talked, we introduced the Tony D Podcast last week, but maybe those that didn't hear it, where, where and what is the Tony D Podcast, Tony? <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's pretty cool. It's a part of the, uh, the Podbean network that I put together to just kind of continue to share my thoughts and um, I did I did I did it the other day in the Portillo's parking lot, which was delicious. Um, but it's part of the Podbean network. So Podbean. Live remote. Sony yeah, live remote. I love Portillo. So and you can uh, always find it. Check me out by following me on Twitter at Tony D Indy. And uh, I'm looking forward to this free agency period, not just centered around uh, the Pacers here locally, um, but but what everybody does around the NBA and, and when the dominoes kind of start to fall. Tony, let's get your thoughts on this. I mean, everything's got to go political these days. Everything's got to go PC. But I think it's gone too far. The NBA says, well, a lot of the teams, we're not going to call our owners owners anymore. We're going to call them governors. And it goes back to a a time in our history in the United States that I don't think anybody is proud of. But there's nobody alive that that ever – there's nobody alive these days who owned slaves, who owned – any of that, I get it. It was a bad, tar- it was a dark time in our history. We we fought a war over that, not just that, but obviously it was a dark time in our history. I get it, but to say, oh well, we're not going to call our owners owners, we're going to call them governors. First of all, let's let's express our stupidity and lack of knowing of history because you know how many Southern governors actually owned slaves. Governors and owners are not the same thing, but you're saying the same thing. What are your thoughts on this stupidity of – I'm sorry. That's my hot take of the day. I'm going to get off my soapbox here. But that is the most stupidity remark that I've seen come out of the NBA in a long time. So, so do they expect you know, owners of restaurants and owners of stores and owners of everything in the world to change from owners to governors or change to another name? Yeah, it just kind of seems – I mean – I, I, I can get the standpoint a little bit, but again, I feel like a lot of people don't change with the times and realize it's 2019 and, and things are different than what they were 30, 40 years ago. And certainly definitely different than what they were hundreds of years ago. 
Um, yeah, this is the first I've heard of it. I, 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 I'm not too entertained by it. And, uh, I think it's the will and the way to be politically correct. Um, if people are complaining about it, people complain about it, but I just, it's hard for me to, 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 to believe that. And it just kind of seems like it's something that, like you said, is, isn't the smartest play uh, in the world. Absolutely. Well, you can get more information in by Google if you want. Tony, we appreciate you joining us, sir. You have yourself a good weekend. Enjoy some of this hot weather we got coming our way. I'll take it. You got him, my man. Thanks again. All right. Tony Donahue of the Tony D Podcast, Mo from the BS Sports Show. Guys, that wraps it up for us, man. What a show. What a show. We started off. We've been rocking it ever since Matthew Embry uh, taking some time from the U.S. Senior Open up there in South Bend. If you're going up there, enjoy your day up there on the golf course. Uh, Steve Wilson, Speedway Digest, talked about NASCAR rolling off there in Chicago. Um, Matt Hicks talked a little homework card in the NBA free agency. And, of course, it is NBA free agency, so we'll see uh, what happens. My name's Tom Marquis, El Presidente. You know, we do this thing called The Balance every Saturday morning, 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. If you catch the podcast, thank you so much. Hit, hit subscribe and uh, follow us on the on on the Twitter world, if you will, at T-Balance. My name is Tom Marquis, El Presidente. Don't drink and drive. And it isn't cool. I'm out of here. Deuces. <laughs>